Well, good afternoon. It's lovely to see you all. You're very welcome this afternoon to the seminar slot. I'm delighted to be able to welcome Katia Adams, who's going to be speaking this afternoon. If you're in the wrong room, just kind of kindly vacate. And if you're in the right space, grab your seat. Um, We've just been so blessed so far with such a rich diet that God has laid up for us, and we're delighted that Katia's here. Katia and Julian live in South Africa, and um, I'm family friends with these guys. I've known the family, mum um, and dad and sisters and others in the family, and it's been a real blessing for me to be enriched by relationship with them. And you saw the story, the videos, um, just from 222 Ministries with Lazarus and Maggie giving an update on your giving. Well, that's um, Katia's mum and dad and they've been here at NLC on previous years. So we're just delighted to have Katia. Join me in welcoming Katia this afternoon. I'm just gonna pray, and then you're in her capable hands. Father, thank you for your presence amongst us. Thank you for the incredible things you've been doing. And I wanna pray your blessing on Katia as she speaks, that there would be a freedom to talk uh, like she's amongst love family, because she is. And I pray that as she speaks, Holy Spirit, you take her words to bring truth, challenge, encouragement, and inspiration to everybody in this room. We ask that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Wow. Well, it is such a privilege and joy to be with you guys. I'm excited for what Jesus is going to do in the next hour or so with us. Um, feel free, if you're still coming in, feel free to come. There's plenty of room on the front. I promise I won't be scary and I don't spit too badly, so I, I won't reach you over on the first rows. Um, right, if you've ever heard me speak before, you'll know that I try my best not to behave myself, and I'm gonna ask you guys to do the same. Um, I think teaching and meetings are much more fun when Holy Spirit is present and allowed to do whatever he wants to do because he's a much better speaker than I am. So, if you want to invite Holy Spirit in to speak to you through this meeting, then please do. And then please feel free to encounter him however you want to. So if that means that you need to run around because of what he's saying to you, then feel free to do that. Or if you wanna lie down or jump up, whatever. I don't get easily distracted. Um, and I'm just kind of making a deal with you here because I'm gonna enjoy his presence. So I recommend that you do the same. And because of that, I think let's get started with a bit of Holy Spirit moment. Why do we have to leave the ministry to the end, hey? Um, so won't you stand with me for a moment? And the Bible tells us that God is everywhere all of the time. He's omnipresent. But it also tells us that there are moments where God chooses to make his presence manifest in a more tangible way. And so it's an entirely biblical thing to say, Holy Spirit, come. Because although he's in this room, what we're asking is, Holy Spirit, make your presence manifest in this room in such a way that we would feel your tangible presence. When we ask for the glory of God, what we're asking is to know and experience his tangible presence. And so won't you with me for a moment? Just lift up your hands, it's not a formula, it's just a sign of openness to God. Let's just start inviting Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, won't you come? Won't you come and fill this place with your tangible presence? Won't you come and rest on our hearts today? Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and speak through these words. You are the one who leads us into all truth and what that means is you lead us into the experience of true reality. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you in this moment to come and lead us into the experience of kingdom reality. We don't just wanna gather for information, we don't wanna fill our minds with new uh, ideas, but what we wanna do is meet with you face to face. What we want to do is see the living God afresh. What we want to do is fall more in love with Jesus. And so Holy Spirit, I just pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, breath of God in this moment, rivers of living water, won't you flow in this room, and Holy Spirit, even as I speak, I pray that you would ignite the words that I say, that life would come into people's hearts all over again, that there would be an explosion of truth in our hearts that would leave us transformed, changed, never to be the same again. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.
Now I'm gonna ask you to do probably the most spiritual thing that you can do in this moment. I'm gonna ask you to put your hand on the person next to you if you're comfortable with that. And I'm gonna ask you to pray the most spiritual prayer ever, which is get them God. Get them God, get us God. Pounce on us, overwhelm us. <laughs> Surprise us with your goodness and your kindness. Get us, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, feel free to take your seats, but remember the rules of the session are that there are no rules, and so please feel free to engage with God. If you need to switch me off because Holy Spirit is speaking to you, please feel free to do that. He is really awesome at speaking truth to us. We're gonna focus on a couple of verses that I love in the book of Song of Songs, so feel free to flick there if you want. There are two verses that I'm gonna read to you in a moment. I feel like in this day, God is doing something very um, incredible with the church across the world, which is putting the church on a bit of a platform in order to shine his light through the church so that the nations will be saved. And I feel like this lie has crept into the church in generations past, where we've understood humility to be something about us playing it small. So we've thought what it means to be a Christian if we're really spiritual and we don't wanna be proud and therefore we wanna be humble. We've thought that what that means is for us to keep denying who we are and kind of if someone says anything complimentary to us, we kind of go, oh no, 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 it was just Jesus. Because we're afraid to say anything good or big for fear of becoming prideful and no Christian wants to be prideful. But the problem is when we as Christians play it small, when we deny who God has made us to be, we run into problems because God has chosen to use us as a platform platform for his presence in the nations. And when we play it small, what we do is we deny the very thing that he wants to do with us, which is to put us on display so that people would see his glory in and through us and people would be led to his light. And so I love the verses that we're gonna look at in the Song of Songs because they're provoking verses to us because I believe they show us a picture of what it means to be the people of God, which is rather alien to what most people think being a Christian means. And the verses we're gonna look at are chapter six, verse 10, and chapter eight, verse five. Chapter six, 10 says this, who is this who looks down or who appears like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? And chapter eight, verse five, who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? The amazing thing about the first verse in particular is that if you read that without looking at the context of the book of Song of Songs, you might think that that verse is in reference to God because it sounds pretty big, pretty magnificent, pretty out there. Who appears like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners. Surely that's referring to God, but actually if you read the book, that is not a reference to the lover who is seen as the God figure in the book, but it's actually a reference to the beloved who is the church figure in the book. So when Song of Songs has this exclamation, who is this bright, who appears like the dawn, bright as the sun, beautiful as the moon, awesome as an army with banners, that description is of you and me, and that's what we're gonna be looking at today. This is a moment for us to step up into all that God has called us into. And I feel like uh, I wasn't in Patti's first session, I was here this morning to hear him, and I feel like God is saying the same message in many different ways to us in these two days, because this is something that he really wants to get deep into our hearts so that we will stand up, understand who he has made us to be in order that we can change the world with everything that he's put in us. Because I wanna tell you, wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever your sphere of influence, whether you're a mom at home raising little children, whether you're a principal of a school, whether you're a CEO of an international 
international company. Whoever you are, God has put you on the planet to change the world. There is no destiny smaller than that on Christians. You were made to change everything around you. You were created to rule, to lead, and to transform because the same mandate that was given to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden is the very same mandate that remains on Christians today, which is to rule, to subdue, to transform, to multiply. That's why you're on the planet. If you are asking the question of what am I made for or what is God calling me to, uh, this is a really good place to start. God is calling you to change the world. We can all go home now, because if we really get that, everything will look different. I love the thing about Jesus, because wherever he went, people asked the question, who is this? He went into a city and we're told in the Gospels that just him walking into the city shifted the atmosphere in such a phenomenal way that the people of the city started asking, who is this? Who's come to our city? Why is the city suddenly all in uproar and agitated? Why are there people suddenly celebrating over here and people over here offended? Why? Because Jesus has come into the room. A lame man is brought to him and he's needing healing and Jesus forgives his sins and the Pharisees say, who is this who believes he has the authority to forgive sins? Because what Jesus said and what he did offended the religious in the room to the point where they needed to ask, who is this man standing in front of us? Even his own disciples who knew him so well, who'd walked with him, they're sitting in a boat in the middle of a storm and Jesus stands up and calms the storm and the disciples think they're gonna die but of course they're not because Jesus is awesome. And he calms the storm and they shrink back and we're told they ask in Mark 4, who is this? Even those who knew him best, there were moments where he so astonished them with the compassion and the power that flowed from him that they couldn't help but ask, who is this? Everywhere he went, that was the question. He went to the synagogue and started preaching and we're told he, put, he spoke with such authority that they started asking, who is this? For they were astonished at the authority with which he taught. I wonder what questions are being asked of you and me when we walk into the room. Because you know, these two verses that we read in Song of Songs, they start with, who is this? Because you and I were created to provoke a question wherever we go, because we were created to live with such a different reality reverberating from us, kingdom reality echoing from us, flowing from us, so that everywhere we go, people would look at us and recognize that there's something different about you, and I can't quite put my finger on it. Who are you? Where are you from again? But I wonder what questions people are asking of you and I, because I wonder if the church has got a little bit too sensible, that little bit too reasonable, that little bit too logical. See, if our non-Christian friends look at our finances, yep, I am gonna go there. (laughs) If our non-Christian friends look at our finances and it all makes sense to them, something's wrong. Because we're living according to the financial structure of a completely different reality. We're living according to the resources of the kingdom of heaven which is not defined by my bank balance. And so if my generosity isn't reflective of my Father in heaven, then I've missed something of who I was created to be because I was made to be so generous with my finance, so non-fearful with how I use my money that the people around me who see what I do with my money should be asking, who are you? How is it possible that you're giving away the amount of money that you're giving away and still you have more than enough? That's what you and I were put on the planet for. You and I were put on the planet to love people so outrageously, so overwhelmingly, so unconditionally that it makes no sense. Jesus talks about it. If you love people who love you, if you only bless those who bless you, even the non-Christians do that, that makes sense. 
stop making sense. You weren't put on this planet to sing according to the world's hymn sheet. You were put on this planet to reverberate with a completely different sound, with the love with which you love people, with the radical faith in which you make decisions, with your crazy generosity that doesn't make sense with the maths on paper, with the places that you choose to live and the people that you choose to befriend. I wonder what questions people are asking of you and me. Because I know for too long, the church has lived in a place where the world goes, yeah, it kind of makes sense. You're a bit weird because you believe in God and you've got that kind of thing going on. But otherwise, your lives make sense. I have a problem with that. Because no one saw Jesus and thought he makes sense. Now listen, I'm not talking about being weird for weirdness sake, just as a caveat, okay? So I'm not talking about talking in weird religious jargon when we leave our church buildings. I'm not talking about dressing up in a strange way so that we can be seen to be different from the world around us. I'm not talking about being strange. I'm talking about living according to heaven's logic rather than worldly logic. It's a completely different thing. Um, my background is in medicine. I trained to be a doctor in London. I worked in emergency medicine for about six years. And at the end of that time, I knew that God was calling me to, to what I do now, to full-time vocational ministry. Um, and as he started calling me into that, I was helping plant a church in East London. Um, and um, God started speaking to me and a group of friends about moving into a pretty rough council estate um, in Southeast London. And um, I remember going to different um, estate agents in the area. We were actually, the group of us were living in this beautiful townhouse in Greenwich. It was really lovely. And um, I remember going to different estate agents at the time and saying, um, hi, we, um, you know, we're looking for a new place to live. Um, I was still working at a, as a doctor at the time, so our financial situation was pretty good. And... Um, and just saying, you know, we only have one requirement, uh, the house must be on this estate. And estate agent after estate agent would kind of cough and look a bit confused and they go, I'm so sorry, I thought you said it must be on this estate. I can't have heard you right. It must not be on this estate, right? Like, no, no, that's our one requirement. Well, whatever else is fine, but the house must be on this estate. And they just couldn't get it. They would be looking at our job titles and looking at our financials and, and looking at us, three reasonably sensible looking girls, and thinking, I don't get it. You make no sense. That's the point. The kingdom doesn't. You know when Jesus in Luke 15 says, which one of you, if you lost a sheep, would leave the 99 to go after the sheep. We read that parable like it makes sense. It doesn't make sense. Nobody in that room was thinking, yeah, I would do that. Kingdom maths doesn't make sense. No shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one. That's not good logic. In fact, when Jesus spoke that parable in Luke 15, what he was actually referencing was um, a prophetic word in Ezekiel 34, which was given to the shepherds of Israel who did not go after the stray sheep, who did not bind up the wounded, who did not go the extra mile to serve their people. And so in, in Ezekiel 34, we're told, I myself, God says, I myself will go. But the point is, leaving the 99 for the one makes no worldly logic. It's not sensible. You and I were not made to be sensible. I'm really sorry about this seminar, but it did give you the warning on the blurb, okay? Because some of you are looking at me like, I did not sign up for this. You kind of did, because I did warn you. If you wanna live sensibly, being a Christian is not your best option. Because nothing about the kingdom is sensible. Oh, but everything about the kingdom is wonderful. If we'll truly embrace all that God has for us in kingdom living, that's when things get really fun. 
Because that's when we start living in a way that makes no sense, but the impossible becomes a reality right in front of our eyes. That's when we start loving the unlovable and we see the incredible miracles of lives restored where people thought they had no hope. That's when we see the blind seeing and the lame walking and the deaf hearing. It's when we make decisions that make no sense on paper but make perfect sense in the upside down kingdom that we're from. Let's just delve into these verses a little bit more. Let's look at chapter eight, verse five first. Who is this? coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved. First thing to say here is that she's coming out of the wilderness. The wilderness is a barren place, it's a broken place, that's what it represents. The portion for the Christian is not the wilderness. God wants to take us up and out of the wilderness. And sometimes we can get so, so drawn into a theology of dealing with our brokenness, which is good, and a theology of vulnerability where we kind of are open about what's going on in real life, which is also good. But sometimes we can get so drawn into that way of thinking where what happens is we lose sight of the promised land because we find so much glory in the wilderness rather than recognizing that the wilderness is only glorious because we're getting out of the wilderness. If all you wanna do is glory in in the cross without the miraculous power of the resurrection, there is no glory in the cross. And I think as Christians, sometimes we can get so drawn into navel gazing, if you like, or focusing on brokenness as if that is an end in itself. It's not the end, it's just the journey through which God wants to take us into his promises unfolding. And so we have got to raise the bar of expectation even in our own lives because the wilderness is not his aim for you. The promise is his aim. He wants you to lean on him out of the wilderness. And this is a brilliant picture of salvation right here, leaning on the beloved. See, the only way out of the wilderness is by leaning on Jesus. There is no other way out. You can't eat clean your way out. You can't read enough self-help books to get your way out. You can't shop enough or be good enough. There's only one way out of the wilderness, and that is leaning on Jesus. And so it's a perfect picture of salvation. Um, If you're in this room, and maybe you've seen salvation as something completely different, this is a really simple but effective illustration of what it means to become a Christian. To become a Christian means to say, I'm putting my full body weight on you because you know the way out and I don't. That's basically it. It's saying, Jesus, you're the son of God and so I'm gonna put everything I am on everything you are because that exchange makes perfect sense in the kingdom. But this picture isn't only about salvation. It's actually about the walk of every Christian because you and I were created to live every moment of our lives leaning on the one who loves us. That's what you were made for, to lean fully on Jesus because the thing is, he knows how to live an abundantly miraculous life. We don't. Jay was talking a little bit about this yesterday. But there's no way of us being Christians without leaning on Jesus. Jesus isn't our ticket into Christianity. He's our reality of Christianity. Those are two very different things. He's not just a one-off thing that you then discard and then work really hard your way through. He is the reality on which everything of our lives should be being built on if we wanna live to the fullness of what we were created for. And listen, you can be a Christian and stop leaning on Jesus. He will love you all the same, but you won't have much fun, I can guarantee you that. Because you and I can't walk our way into miracles. You and I cannot walk our way into seeing food multiplied. You and I cannot walk our way or sweet talk our way or research our way into seeing blind men see. There's only one way to do that, and it's on leaning on Jesus. This is a beautiful illustration of what it means to walk out the Christian life. The difficulty about leaning is that it's not actually very easy to do. I've treated lots of people who've broken their legs before, and it's funny, even with a very broken limb, 
Instinctively, people want to put their own weight on their own feet. Even when you give people crutches, you have to teach people how to rely on crutches because even the existence of the pain isn't enough to stop most people trying to put weight on because we've got this wiring internally to lean on ourselves. It's not easy to do. But you know what? We do actually lean all of the time, just lean on different things. How many of you, before you sat down, checked the chair that you were about to sit on in order to make sure that it warranted you sitting on it? How many of you examined the legs and thought, is this stable? Hmm. How many of you tried a little bit of weight on it to see? We laugh, but that's what we do with Jesus a lot of the time. We're a bit careful. Jesus told me to do this, but mm, can I really believe that? Was it really him? And so what our leaning often looks like is preparing with a plan B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, and so on and so forth in case he doesn't come through. I wanna ask you how many of you intentionally put yourself in a position recently where if Jesus didn't come through, you would fall flat on your face? because that's what leaning looks like. If I lean entirely on this thing, if someone moved this thing, I'd be falling and it'd be pretty embarrassing. That's what the Christian life is meant to look like. That's what we're actually invited into. Leaning so heavily on him that if he moves and we're not in step with him, we'll be falling flat. You're really now looking at me like, this is so depressing. It's not because he's awesome. And if we learn to lean on him, if we're willing to take the risk, if we're willing to throw everything we've got at this faith that we're saying we're living for, then oh my goodness, that's when the adventure starts. But here's the reality. Proverbs talks about trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding, right? Trust in the Lord or understand, those are your options. You can't have it both ways. And so often as Christians, what we're trying to do is we're leaning on Jesus with one leg while with the other leg, we're leaning on understanding and we're wondering why we're not getting very far at all. It's because you either lean or you understand. And listen, he loves you all the same, whichever one you choose. But some of you are trying to make decisions even at the moment, and you know God is putting his finger on this for you right now because you're trying to make the decision through what you understand rather than what you've heard him say. And you're wondering why you're struggling so much with the decision. The reality of the kingdom is this, trust or understand. It's because your mind is limited with where it can take you. But God wants to take you into impossibilities and you cannot understand them. So you trust or you understand. You can't have it both ways. A while ago, a few years ago, I um, had an encounter with God really, which really transformed how I view kingdom living. And um, in this encounter with God, I saw myself as a small child and I had wrapped myself around his ankles and I was clinging onto his ankles for dear life and it was lovely, I was so close to him. It was like this beautiful picture. I've got a three and a one-year-old at home, so this happens to me pretty much on a daily basis anyway. I was just clinging onto his feet, it was beautiful. And in the encounter, I was saying, go, Papa, go! But he couldn't move, which is pretty much exactly what happens to me with my children sitting on my feet, insisting that I move. You can't move. And in the encounter, I saw God say to me, where you are, you have full control, but I can't go anywhere. Would you like to change it? And then I saw him pick me up and put me on his shoulders. And suddenly that was scary because I no longer had control. I couldn't control where we were going, how fast we were going. The view was much higher, so it was much more glorious and adventurous, but it was much scarier. And he said to me, you can either choose the control or the adventure, but you cannot have it both. You can either understand or you can trust, but you cannot have it both. I wanna put to you today, which one do you wanna live in? Which one do you wanna live in? Who is this 
leaning on her beloved coming out of the wilderness. The who is this question is attached to the adventure and it's what you were made for. I wanna suggest if you're bored with your Christianity, I wonder if it's just got too sensible because there is nothing boring about what I read in the pages of scripture. And so if we're bored, if it's just become a little bit mundane, if it's all very routine, I wonder if we've reared off the leaning on the one who is taking us out of the wilderness because in his intention for you and me is something much wilder and something much crazier than we could ever understand our way into. Trust or understand, have control or have adventure, it's your choice. And like I said, he loves you all the same. This isn't about whether you'll be a Christian or not if you choose the adventure or not. This is simply about the quality of your experience with Jesus. This is simply about doing everything that he created you for. Let's look at chapter six. Who is this who appears like the dawn? Do you know you were created to be the appearance of the morning dawn on a dark and broken world. That's who you were made to be. When you lean on Jesus, that's what it looks like to your family and friends and colleagues around you. You are the bright light of the morning dawn appearing all around. And you know the enemy will make us feel like the darkness is getting ever darker and the light is in defensive mode. But you know the beautiful thing about dawn is that dawn cannot help but overtake the darkness. By nature, what the dawn does is appear in ever stronger glory until the night is all but forgotten. That's who you were made to be. So don't listen to the nonsense of the enemy because the darkness is not encroaching on the light. The light is encroaching on the darkness. There's a very big difference. You were created to be the dawning of the light wherever you are. That is everything that God has put in you has the power in order to do that in your everyday life. The dawning of the light everywhere you go. And it's got echoes of Isaiah 60 here. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen on you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you. His glory will be seen upon you and nations shall come to your light, kings to the brightness of your dawn. Do you know what I love about Isaiah 60 is that it doesn't say arise and reflect, it says arise and shine. Because what you behold, you become like. Your capacity to taste um, impacts your capacity to become. When we come to the light of the world, when we come to Jesus, we don't simply become reflectors of who he is, although we do, but we become so magnetized by who he is that we ourselves become so transformed. This is something Patty was talking about. We ourselves get so transformed that we ourselves start shining with that same brilliance because what you behold, you become like. It's what Jesus talks about in the Gospel of John where he says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and let him drink, and what will happen? Out of you will come rivers of living water, because what you taste changes your capacity to become. You are the dawning of the light of the kingdom, and if you are in Christ, everything about you has changed so that you yourself are the light of the kingdom, shining in its brilliance, because God lives inside of you. It's pretty exciting. You are the dawning of the light, beautiful as the moon. Do you know that God is interested in beauty? He loves beauty. If you read in Genesis how God made creation, it's cool because we're told that he made plants and trees that had fruit on it that were both pleasing to the eye and good for food. I like that. God isn't simply clinical in how he does things. He's not simply looking for the most efficient mode in order to achieve things. 
If that was the case, the food that he would supply wouldn't be pleasing to the eye because that doesn't impact on efficiency. It would just be good for food. But actually, God is interested in beauty. That's why creativity is an incredibly serious kingdom work. And I feel like for a long time, the church has been negative about creatives in our community. Oh, you're just an artist, that's not really serious. If you were gonna do something kingdom, you'd be a missionary out somewhere in a poor land and then you would be showing us kingdom business. But that's not true, we're all called to different things and creativity is part of the agenda of heaven. I wanna honor you if you're a creative in this room. I wanna honor you if you write poetry or if you paint or if you're an artist. I wanna honor you if you're writing a book. I wanna honor you if you're in design. I wanna honor you if you're interested in fashion. I wanna honor you for any creativity that's in you because that's part of the kingdom because God loves beauty and you and I were created to present the kingdom as we work out creativity in our everyday lives. You and I are invited to walk into a room and make it just that much more beautiful, however that might be. And people often say to me, I'm not creative. That's not true, you just don't know how you're creative. But every single person is creative because we reflect our Father and He is the ultimate creative being. And so every single one of us has creativity in us. It might not be the creativity that someone else has next door to you, that doesn't matter. And it's actually really important that we discover the unique creativity within us because creativity is a brilliant, brilliant antidote to the fear of man and to the fear of failure. Because create, absolutely, because creativity requires risk. Creativity requires innovation. Creativity doesn't mean that you're looking for the end result, it just means the process in itself is worth doing. And you know what, last time I checked in Hebrews 11, God is not attracted to performance, but God is attracted to faith, and creativity and faith go hand in hand. And so if you're someone who doesn't think you're creative, I, I beg to differ with you, first of all. And I suggest as an action point after this that you start asking Jesus to show you in what way you are creative. Because you must be, because you are the work of his hands. He's interested in beauty. And as we bring beauty in whatever way that that means to us, as we release, as we shed off fear of man and fear of failure, as we embark in risk-taking creativity, we deposit something of kingdom life wherever we are. We don't even need to tell people we're Christians. What we're doing is sowing kingdom seed. It's a beautiful thing. Who is this who appears like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright, as the sun. You know, you can't look directly at the sun for too long because you'll damage your eye because of the brilliance of the sun. And what this verse is talking about isn't simply that the sun is bright, but it's about the glory, the brilliance of the sun. That's who you are. You are full of glory. You are bright as the sun. Think about that. Think about the sun's brilliance. That is who you are if you are in Christ. That's who you are to a lost and broken world. If we fully understand who we are in all our brightness, it actually blows our mind. You know you are glorious right now. We don't have to wait until we die to become glorious. That's a lie that the enemy has sold the church for far too long. So, so many of us are pinning our hopes for some kind of future reality when God has made the kingdom here and now so we get to enter into heaven reality right now. You know in John 17, Jesus speaking to the Father, Father says, I have given them the glory that you gave me have given them, past tense, which means you and I who are in Christ have been given the very same glory that is on Jesus. Think about that. The glory of God, the glory that we sing songs about, the glory that makes men fall down on their faces in fear, that exact same glory, not a lesser version, not the plan B version, not the human version, no, no. The God version of glory has been given to you and me. That is who who you are. It's not who you will be one day, it's the glory that he's put in you right now. 
And he's done it because you are made to be bright as the sun so that everyone around you, if we truly allow ourselves to be all that we are already, people around us will start asking, who are you? Because I feel like I need to wear sunglasses. (laughs) Who are you? And you know glory isn't just some kind of ethereal theological word that no one knows anything about, but it actually is found in Exodus 33 in the verse that Jay was talking about last night. Show me your glory, and God says, I will make my goodness pass in front of you. Glory and goodness go hand in hand. You are so glorious when you are showing people the goodness of God. When you are walking out the kindness of God, that is glory in its brilliance. And so you and I have the ability to show off with the goodness of God wherever we are to the point where people will be so overwhelmed by the goodness that they see, not a sickly, super spiritual, self-righteous goodness, no. This is a down in the ground, on our knees, serving kind of goodness where people say, Who are you? Because I've never seen anyone be so kind before to the broken. And who are you? Because no one has ever spoken to me with such kindness before. And who are you? Because wherever you go, you are with the broken and you're with the poor and you're with the hopeless and you do so many kind things, but you never make us feel judged. Who are you? That's the brilliance of the sun shining through. And that's who you were made to be appearing like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, and last one, awesome as an army with banners. You are so powerful. You are, you are so powerful. If we really got the power that is coursing through our veins, I think we would live so differently. You, wherever you are, whatever you do, you are so powerful because the Spirit of God has made his home in you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit that hovered over the waters just before creation, that same Spirit with all the power of God is in you. Imagine, if you will, for a moment, maybe close your eyes if that works best with your imagination, you don't have to, but imagine with me for a moment, standing alone on a hilltop and watching an army approach you on the horizon. Imagine them dressed in full armor. Imagine them thousands upon thousands upon thousands of soldiers with all in step with their feet thudding on the ground so that even the ground you're standing on is shaking with the reverberation of their footsteps. Imagine the sound of them shouting where they're coming from. Imagine the banners that they hold telling you the kingdom that they're coming from. Imagine the fear that you would feel if you were standing on your own watching this army approach you and then understand that that's what the enemy feels every time he sees you. You are, you are, not you will be, not maybe on your best day, not one day when you've ticked enough good things that you've done, no, you are awesome as an army with banners. That is who you are because the power of the living God is in you. And so don't allow the enemy to make you feel like you are small or insignificant, that is utter nonsense because you are awesome as an army with banners. Here we are. It's a bit of a crunch time point for us as a church, as a people of God. What is it that we wanna do with our Christianity? Do we want to relegate our Christianity to (laughs) the high point of our Christianity to being goosebumps in a meeting? 
Do we wanna relegate the high point of our Christianity to be a yearly point where we feel the Holy Spirit and we tell our friends, oh, oh, it was lovely, I just felt so warm and gooey inside, and then everything goes back to normal because that's our expectation? Or do we wanna go with something much wilder, something that doesn't make sense, something that will make people ask questions? something that will make your spouse, maybe if they're not with you, ask some questions when you get home. Something that will make people maybe feel a little bit uncomfortable because we know that wherever Jesus went, there were people who fell in love with him and there were people who found him incredibly offensive. That's just the nature of an illogical kingdom. What is it that you want? Who do you want to be? because we do get to choose. The way God works isn't fatalistic. He doesn't command us and then force us. He's not interested in slaves, he's interested in sons. There's a difference. Who do you wanna be? I love this quote from my friend Alan Scott. We can't impress our cities into life. We can immerse them in the life to come. We can bring back life, we must bring back life. It's our assignment for which we will be held accountable. Life-giving churches developed at the center of the city involves more than creating irresistible environments marked by excellence and service. Any human industry can accomplish those goals. Life-giving churches are defined by the life of another world. They are steeped in the impossible. You were steeped in the impossible. That's who you are. Everything about you has been wired with DNA that is supernatural, that is otherworldly. And I believe God is inviting us into a crazy way of living. <laughs> There's no other way to see it really. I could make it sound prettier or easier or more sensible but then I'd be lying. Oh, but it is fun. And so I wonder if to end, you'd be willing to stand with me. We are gonna close in a few minutes. For some of you, what I've said has been making no sense. <laughs> and you're kind of thinking, I can't wait for the break. And that's okay, that's totally fine. But some of you, your hearts have been racing while I've been speaking and you've felt an invitation from Jesus for something more. An invitation from Jesus to let go of your plan B, C, D, and E. To give up on your backup plans in case he doesn't come through. And you felt him saying to you, it's, it's, it's time. It's time to be all that you were made to be. And if that's you, then I'm just gonna invite you to come to the front. This isn't because there's a special army of people about to pray for you up at the front because you'll notice there's no one but me. But this is just about a you and God moment. This is about saying, I don't wanna play it safe. What am I playing it safe for? Because honestly, Christianity is really boring when we play it safe. It was never meant to be about playing it safe. There's nothing about the Christian life that was designed for our comfortable living. <laughs> Everything about it is designed for radical. Everything about it is designed for the crazy. Everything about it is designed for leaving the 99 to go after the one. That's what makes it so wonderful, especially when you're the one. And so if you've responded in, in this moment, you're, you're gonna be your own ministry team and Holy Spirit is here and he's so wonderful. He's so kind. Why don't you just lift up your hands? <laughs> hey, and all across this room, Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come and rest on men and women who've responded to a call for radical living. <laughs> no more playing it safe in the name of Jesus. 
No more plan B, C, D, and E in Jesus' name. Father, you made us to be a people who provoke the world to ask some questions because they've never seen someone like us before. They've never seen love so radical. They've never seen someone who says they're religious but is so non-judgmental. They've never seen someone with the compassion that we have. They've never seen a worker of miracles before, but when the sick come near us, they seem to get healed. That's what you were made for. And every part of you is equipped with everything needed for that life. This is not an altar call for come and get more of what you need so that maybe one day you'll be able to achieve it. This is an altar call for recognizing who you are because he has already put his glory inside of you and he has already put his power inside of you and he has already given you every single thing you need for life and godliness. In the name of Jesus, I break the limitations that have come over so many men and women in this room. Limitations that have been like a ceiling, a limitation of sensibility, a a limitation of what is reasonable, a limitation of what people will say or think, a limitation even for the correct response in church. In the name of Jesus, I come against those limitations. There are no limitations over the people of God. You are not required to tick any boxes here. You have not been made to be reasonable or sensible. You have been made to live in the radical life of the kingdom. Everything about you is coursing with supernatural DNA. And so in the name of Jesus, I break limitations that have been spoken over men and women in this room. I break limitations that have been accepted by us in this room. And some of you in this moment, you need to repent. And repentance is not simply about saying, sorry, but it's about changing the way we think. You need to change the way you think about the limitations that have been put on you. Some of you need to do some business with God in this moment and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I took so-and-so's opinion of what I should look like or how I should live or what I should do with my finance or what career I should do over the call of God on my life because no more are we going to play it safe and no more are we going to accept other people's opinions of what Christians should look like and what Christians should be doing. Rather, we're gonna go back to the drawing board and say, Holy Spirit, have your way with me. There is no other way to live this life. If not, let's just go home and give up. I wanna tell you, it's either all true or it's all a lie. There is no middle ground. Either you were made to lay your hands on the sick and see them healed or it's all a lie. There is no middle ground. Either you were made with the potential to see food multiplied or it's all a lie. There is no middle ground. And for too long, we've tried to make Christianity seem somehow logical. It isn't. Give up trying. (laughs) Oh, but it's wonderful. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that your presence would intensify in this room. Holy Spirit, come and break out in joy in this room. Holy Spirit, come and rest in your peace on men and women who've been given to so much anxiety and depression in the last few months because they haven't known which way to turn. But Holy Spirit, you are the kindest person I know. Would you come and pounce on us with your kindness and your goodness, with your overwhelming affection and your peace to unravel unravel the defense systems that we have built up in order so that we can be the people of God in every way that you have already made us to be. Hey. I can feel his presence in the room. Let's just wait on him a moment. Hey. 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 Hey, there is a deep undoing of some lies that some of us have believed for many years. It's okay for them, it's not okay for me. Oh, that person can do it, they're a preacher, I couldn't possibly ever, that's a lie. The same power that is living in Jesus is living in you. 
There are no superhero Christians. There are no special few who get to do the stuff. That is a lie from the enemy and he's undoing it right now in the name of Jesus. He's doing something very deep. Hey! And some of you have tried to keep a lid on things for too long, let it go. It's okay to be wild. <laughs> hey! It's all right, it's all right. Because when you put your hands in an electric socket, something happens to you. Hey! It's okay. God is not theoretical, he's alive, and when you encounter him, something happens. Don't put a lid on him. Don't put a lid on what he's doing in you. Hey! Hey. Hey. I feel like God wants to deal with an offense that some of us have had against him. Offense born out of disappointment. Offense born out of him not doing things the way we thought he could have, should have, would have. Hey. Offense because he didn't fit our understanding of Christianity, he didn't. <laughs> and right now, Holy Spirit is bringing some healing to offense. Because you know, offense just robs you of seeing the goodness of God in your life. Saps your strength and energy. So in the name of Jesus, I come against offense. And some of you, you know who you are. You've just gotta say to God, I'm offended with you. You didn't heal that person when I asked you to. You didn't heal me, even though I've been asking for so long. You haven't done this. You didn't turn up in this way. But you know what? At some point, we've got to bring that offense to God and say, heal it. Heal it. Help me see you clearly again. I don't get that. I don't get what happened. And honestly, I don't have the right answers for you. If you're looking for me too, I don't. I'm so sorry. But what I do know is that he is good. And what I do know is that he is kind. And even in the mystery of pain and suffering, and I've experienced my fair share of both of those things, but even in the mystery of those moments, I cannot and I will not remove the goalposts or change where they stand. He is good and he is kind and I will not be told otherwise. And so in this moment, some of you who've been offended with him, and I'm not belittling your pain or your hurt, but in this moment, God is inviting you to give it over, to give it to him, to say, I'm so hurt by what you did. Help me see you afresh. Help me know you afresh. I want to let it go. Because you know, he's not done with you. And there's so much more to come. Hey! Hey! And some of you know that you have made some career choices because you thought you needed to be sensible even though you felt the tug of God to do something risky. And I just feel like there's a number of people who even as I've been speaking, you've thought I lost my chance. I mucked up. And you've kind of been kicking yourself. And I just feel the kindness and compassion of Papa right now. I wanna tell you we belong to the kingdom of a billion chances. You have not missed your chance and you've not mucked up and there's nothing that he can't restore. And so if that's you and that's making sense to you, I just wanna encourage you, just get close to Jesus because he loves you so much. He's not disappointed with you because disappointment means that he had a different expectation from what you did and actually he knows what you were gonna do so he's not disappointed in you ever. He's not angry, he's not frustrated. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you, and he's not done with you yet. And so if that's you, I just feel like he's saying, it's okay, we're gonna learn how to do this, don't worry. We're gonna learn. You know, I've got two toddlers at home, and it's a process by which they learn to talk and walk. And when they fall, when they're walking, I don't go, oh, that's just because you're one of those kids who can't walk, or oh, that's just because you're stupid. It's, I understand the process of learning to walk we have grace for the process in the natural. And I wanna tell you, God has grace for us in the process in the supernatural. 
when we're learning to walk in the spirit, when we're learning to walk in leaning on him, there are gonna be so many times where we fall flat on our bottoms and we think we messed up and he's saying, hey, let me help you get up again because he has grace for us in the process in the supernatural. And so Father, we just thank you for your kindness and your presence in this room. I thank you for what you've been doing in so many hearts. I thank you for unpicking lies and helping us to see you afresh. And so Father, I just ask everything that you've done, everything that's been said that is of you, I pray that you would seal it into place, that you would continue to sow those seeds in our hearts and make them come alive. And in Jesus' name, I just speak that this would be an anxiety-free zone. That what we've talked about, risk and adventure and crazy living, that it wouldn't lead us into anxiety because that's never your heart. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that your protective peace would guard our hearts so that we would walk into risk and adventure knowing our Papa is with us and if he is with us, who can be against us? In the name of Jesus and for your glory, amen.